Yes, Jesus. Hallelujah. We're going to call our pastor to the platform and bring forth the word of God. Hallelujah. 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 The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is who we worship. It's who we praise. It's the one that we say Hosanna to for who he really is. He's not the king of this earth. Well, he is, but he's the king of heaven. Amen. That's what they messed up and mixed up on the day of Palm, uh, Palm Sunday when they were walking him down through there. They were worship. Well, let me get it. My goodness. They got to know who they worship. God's people have to know who they're worshiping. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Feel the presence of God in this place. I almost don't want to make any announcements. I want to make an announcement. Clean up next, next Saturday at 9 a.m. Brother uh, McCauley is asking if you could come and help him get cleaned up for Easter Sunday. Kind of clean up the leaves and everything. He wants to plant some flowers and stuff. And so if you could give a small donation, it would help buy the flowers and stuff that he wants to plant. And uh, just ask you to be a part of that if you would. Amen. We're going to turn to Luke 19, 28 through 48. As you're turning there, all Sunday school, thank you. Um, we always keep the house a little warm and then all of a sudden Holy Ghost comes and the house gets hot. Uh, so bear with me. I want to let our online guests know that we had a powerful move of God in our prayer service. That's why we started late. Amen. We didn't start late because of any technical difficulties. We will prepare a slide that will prepare you and the Holy Ghost. We come together and pray 15 minutes before service starts. Some things that you miss by not being here, and I know some of you can't be here because of the distance that you drive. Just talking about what, what people miss when they're in the house of God. Amen. I, I really, I know Sister Tyler brought prayer requests, but God just brought these to me. There's a Miss Bonnie in Myrtle Beach that has cancer that needs healing. A friend of mine that has relocated, he retired from here, moved to Myrtle Beach. His name is Randy Whitley. We prayed for him before he was COVID-stricken bad. His lungs are still uh, in repair. He's still on oxygen. Asking to pray for his lungs. Mother McNeil, I believe, she, I believe something happened. I believe there was a shift this morning when we stood in the circle for Mother McNeil. Uh, we really need to cover her in prayer, but I believe there's been a shift in the Holy Ghost. I believe in my spirit there was a shift. Sister Teresa asked us to bring all the elders uh, and the ladies to the front, and we did. And we began to pray, and we anointed a prayer cloth and uh, prayed over it for Sister, for Mother McNeil. And I want you to remember a, a, a minister. Uh, we prayed for him. We did pray for him. This week, he is off the ventilator. 
Amen. Thank you, Jesus. He has a long way to go, but it's by the prayers of the righteous that he's even recovering. And he still has cancer. We want to pray that the cancer be gone in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's not forget Symphony. There's a long recovery for her, and we need God to help her in the recovery. Amen. If you're at Luke 19, 28 through 48, say amen. All right. It's a long, about 20 scriptures we're going to read. Um, I've given Brother Gramaha the, the Spanish version. The Bible said, And when he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. He was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany at the moment called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples. Verse 30 saying, saying Go ye into the village over against you in which in which at your entry you shall find a colt tied whereon yet never man sat loose him and bring him bring him hither now no one has sat on this this animal anybody knows anything about a donkey or a horse that's never been broken does not allow anybody just sit on it so that donkey had to know the presence. <laughs> Come on now. You may not know, you may not even know where I'm going, but I'm going to tell you what, when the presence of the Lord comes in the midst, the spirit of bronking and, and getting you off my back goes away. Amen. He was, he was ready to receive. I believe the donkey already knew he had been born for an occasion that was going to put a king of heaven on his back and let him ride in triumphantly. That's just my assumption. You all can do whatever you think, whatever you want. But verse 31 said, And if any man ask you, why do you loose him? That's mine. Why are you loosen him? Thus shall ye say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, what happens? The owners thereof said unto them, Why are you loosing my colt? They said, Because the Lord hath need of him. Now, they didn't say, Oh, no. You don't take my donkey. You don't take my colt. Hear me. There was some obedience. God is flowing. The Lord is flowing right in this situation. You hear me. And, and, and they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they what? They set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. Yeah. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he had seen, or that they had seen, excuse me, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke those disciples. He answered and said unto them, I, I tell you that if these should hold back, hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and he wept over it, saying, If Thou hadst known, even thou at least in this day, this thy day, 
the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they ha are hid from my eyes, or thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round, about, round the, uh, the round and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Saying unto them, or, or, and he went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold therein and them that bought. Saying unto them, it is written, my house is a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And he taught daily in the temple, but the chief priest and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him and could not find what they might do. For all the people were very attentive to hear him. Amen. Father, we pray that you anoint your messenger today to bring forth your word. Lord, this is your word that you've given men to write. God, I pray for your anointing on my lips, on my body, mind, and soul. God, to bring forth your word to this people, your people, God. God, in Jesus' name. Let our ears be open to receive what thus saith the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. You may be seated. I, I, I'd like to say, look who's coming to town. Look who's coming to town. Amen. In Luke 19, it speaks of the day we call Palm Sunday and an event we call the triumphal entry. It is the Sunday before Passover, most likely in the spring the, the Lord Jesus enters into Jerusalem amidst waving palm branches and shouts of Hosanna. But within days, the desire for a coronation will be changed into the demand for crucifixion. I want you to sit on the side road of Jerusalem. I pray that I can paint a picture for you that as we sit on the side of the road in Jerusalem, and Jesus is coming in, and they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. But now the demand is coming, crucify him, crucify him. Last, look at the palm branches that are being lifted and the arms that are being lifted. Listen for someone that's deeper than the emotional cries of a fickle crowd. Today I invite you to look beyond the political parade, and you will see your God on a donkey colt. Coming in to the city. It's a classic story of mistaken identity. It's a classic story of confusion. A prince and a beggar meet by chance, discovering they look like twins and decide to trade places. Part of the storyline is that everybody thought the beggar was a king and the king was a beggar. The whole nation had a case of mistaken identity. And I bring to you today that these people, God's people, the Israelites, the Jews, the Romans all had a mistaken identity of who Jesus really was. If they had only known who Jesus was riding on the donkey, they would have never, ever put him up on the cross. 
They didn't understand who the real Messiah was. They thought he was coming to run their country and to take over kingship and lordship of their country. But he had come to forgive sins. Nearly 2,000 years ago, Dr. Luke wrote about another case of mistaken identity. He wrote about a king who had made himself of no reputation, taking on a veil of the flesh and robed himself in humanity. He came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. Like Prince Edward of the Twain's novel, Jesus is not truly recognized. Even though they shout and hail him as king, even though they give him the royal treatment, even though they were there, palm branches being waved and shout and at loud, Lord Jesus, King Jesus, Jesus knows that they are wrongfully and woefully wrong. And he knows that they don't know who his true identity is. Oh, he's king, all right, but he is very different. He's a different kind of king, one they're seeking, though, remarkably different than the one they think they see, for his kingdom is not of this world. And as he rides in on the donkey, don't let the common clothes of a peasant carpenter fool you, for there mounted on the beast of burden is the one who has come to hear and to take on their sins and to bear them he's all in all wise and sovereign lord the story is a reminder that jesus knows everything has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever gotten past god jesus knows everything he knows the past he knows the present and he knows the future at times, that truth brings conviction in our heart. At times, it brings comfort into our lives. Today, I want to bring confidence that the King of Glory, that He knows about every specific detail that is going on on this day, and He knows every specific detail that goes on in our everyday lives today. Amen. I promise you that He did not go to that cross to leave us and forsake us. His word tells us that he said he would never leave us nor forsake us. Nothing about the life of Jesus was random or haphazard. Nothing just happened by chance. His entrance into Jerusalem would be no exception. How would he possibly know where the cult would be? How did he know that? And then how did he know that the innkeeper, the keepers of the, the, the donkey or the colt would not argue, don't take my colt. All he said is if, if the reason I believe that was in there in case someone tried to take it that was not of Jesus' team. Because there was a word, he said. Right? And when the people knew the word, it was immediately like, okay. They knew that it was for Jesus. You know, the CIA and all these spy people think they had it, had their, have their ways, but God had already 
initiated ways to confirm things back in the day that, that, that the people would know. You're not stealing this. This is, for, this is for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Not for this earth, but for the one in heaven. Amen. How'd he know what to tell the owner to gain permission? Because as God, he knew everything. Jesus knew that he'd come and how he, would, how he had to come. Amen. Hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, it was prophesied in Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. Humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Just as nothing in his life caught him off guard or took him by surprise, he is well aware of the events that are unfolding in his life. I often say, Lord, it would be great if I already knew what tomorrow held. But if I knew what tomorrow held, some things might change in my walk with God. Right now, I have to trust him of what tomorrow holds because I know who holds tomorrow. Amen. When you know who holds tomorrow, you can trust the one who holds tomorrow. Amen. And you can trust it if it's your time, it's okay. Now, that was weak. That was weak. I only got one or two in here. But let me tell you something. When you know what you know, when you know that there's a place prepared for you, when you know you leave this place, and I don't want to leave yet, but when it, when it is time, I'm ready. I, I, I'm okay. The problem is most of us don't prepare for the coming of the Lord. Most of us don't prepare for the day and the hour that our number he already has etched. That this is the day that Alan H. Reynolds, the first, I'm bringing him home. Amen. It's already there. He already knows it. I don't know. If I knew the day and the hour, Lord, I would probably lose my mind. Can I be real? He knew about the specific details. He knew about the symbolic day. That wasn't just any day. You see, this was a very specific day on God's calendar. The specific day was planned before foundation, the foundation of the world, and had been pictured for hundreds of years by the Jews. It was proclaimed by the prophets in Daniel 9, 25. The Bible says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times. From the, from the issuing of that decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah was 483 years. Nehemiah 2 and 1 says, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of our traction, our taxes, the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in the presence. That was, uh, it came about in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxus, and four, that was 445 years before Christ. 
That was restoration. That's a restoration decree, okay? In Daniel's prophecy, it was 483 years, which was 360 days each between them, or, or thereabout, right? Daniel's prophecy concluded the month and year of this event. In Daniel 9, 26, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolation are, desolations are determined. After these weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. In other words, the triumphal entry is a fulfillment and a countdown. It, it, it speaks of when he would be identified and when he would be crucified. Amen? It, it, it's a picture in, of Passover in Exodus 12, 3 through 6. The Bible says that, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if, if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house uh, um, and if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of, of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be what? Without blemish. It must be a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Tell the whole community, this is what they're saying. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family. The animals you choose must be males without defect. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them. That is the fifth day before the slaughter of Passover of the Passover lamb. The congregation of Israel was to decide which lamb they wanted to slaughter as a sacrifice of their sins. And even though they didn't and they don't realize it, their words of supposed praise are a declaration. Jesus is the one that we will kill. He knew about this specific detail. He knew about the symbolic day. He knew about the special, special destination. Each of us has physical locations that are special to us. Don't we? Well, we all have special locations that are very special to us, that, that, that are, are special, right, and, and bring memory. And each of us have that physical location, usually because of something that happened in our past. Uh, and as Jesus heads into Jerusalem and ultimately to the top of the Temple Mount, he was going to a place with deep significance. Second Chronicles says this, the Solomon, then Solomon, 
began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. And I didn't read all the scripture, but it says, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place that David had prepared in the thr uh, threshing floor of or Ornan, the Jebusite. Genesis 22, 2. God said, Take now your son, thy only thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Here on this sacred mountain range, God would do within a few days what Abraham had not done. Thanks to God, God provided a sacrifice for Isaac. But the Lord would send his son to be the great sacrifice for mankind. On the very place that he was sending Abraham with his son Isaac, the Lord would send his son to be crucified five days later. God the Father would take the dagger of justice and plunge it deep into the chest of his one and only begotten son. Though he could have commanded thousands of angels to protect him from the cross, for Christ there would be no angel to stay the hand of wrath. There would be no angelic messenger to point to the ram in the thicket, for Christ was the substitutionary sacrifice. The knife of divine wrath would be laid in the throat of holiness. He would drink of the bitter dregs of the cup of sin. He would be beaten and beyond recognition. He, 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 he would, his best friends would deny him. And the crowd would no longer be friendly to him. And they would call for his death. Yet for the joy set before him, he rides in boldly, willingly, voluntarily, with full knowledge of what is awaiting him. He's all an all-wise and sovereign God. He is an all-worthy sacrifice for you and I. And as you open your eyes, you can see he is a sovereign God. But, but as you open your ears, you will hear that he is a savior. In other words, as the king comes to town, we not only see what he de determined, but we see what and hear what he deserves. What was desired from him. The timing of this pretentious time and parade tells us all we need to know about his power and their motivation. Just in the last few days, he had given sight to blind Bartimaeus. Listen, they're crying, crucify him, crucify him. And this man was walking the earth, healing blinded eyes. Right? Radically changed Zacchaeus. Changed this man. He cleansed the ten lepers. And only one was grateful. 
He had just raised Lazarus. Well, not just, but he had raised Lazarus from the dead. He had healed the woman with the issue of blood after 12 long years. Yet they cry, crucify him, crucify him. John tells us in 12:18, for this reason the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed the signs. The resurrection of Lazarus was from the dead. They are double-minded. Very much what the world is today. Double-minded. It looks like they want deliverance, but they don't want deliverance. They want to stay in the sin of Caesar. That's where the world is today. We preach repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the Lord is coming back soon. I don't know the day nor the hour, and I may, I may die before he comes. I may be 80, 100, whatever it is, if God gives me that ability to live that long. Whatever age it is, what I can tell you is, he tells me in the word of God that as you see the signs that are around us. Now, you don't have to be a highly educated person. Go to college and have a doctorate. To know what the Word of God is saying, when you start looking at the news, which is one of the worst things we could watch, but there is things going on, and we need to really pray for Ukraine. We need to pray for the evilness, the onslaught of that ugliness that's being pour, poured out on them. We need to pray for our school teachers. Because the agenda is to take it from a normal mom and dad and try to indoctrinate our children. They just have now released that if you want to change your identity as a woman or as a male, that you can get the product and mutilate yourself and change certain features of your body. This is the world we live in. The government we are under, at some point, the Lord is going to be, I'm done. I'm done with a godless nation. I'm done with people that think that they can control what I have created. I'm done with people that think they can change the anatomy that I birthed them with. I'm done with people that think they can walk into the house of God and still have sin and never ask God to forgive them. I'm done with the people that I keep calling and they keep running. I'm done. They were double-minded back then and were double-minded today. They want deliverance from Caesar, but not their sin. It is almost like they were cheering for him, but rooting for themselves. You see, the, the poems were not you associated with praise, but with patriotism. That's why God's people have to understand what the palm leaf is for. We worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords of our Heavenly Father. Amen. That's why when I didn't, I didn't get palm leaves this year just because. I believe God's people need to know why you worship. Thank you for worshiping today. Why? Because the Word of God told us in His Word that if you don't worship me, the rocks will cry out in your place. I don't want a rock crying out in my place. As long as I have a vocal cord, as long as I have the ability to make a sound in my voice, I'm going to give him praise. If my body allows me to lift my arms and my limbs 
I'm going to lift them unto the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm going to worship him until this body doesn't allow me to worship him. Until this mind doesn't allow me to worship him. I know that you think I'm eccentric, but what I do know is that there's no psychiatrist, there's not a man in this room or a woman in this room that could have given me what I have today. They couldn't have given me my children, they couldn't have given me my grandchildren, they couldn't have given me life, they couldn't have given me a mind because my mind, I, I, I shouldn't even have a mind, I should be dead by now, but no one in this room, no one on earth could have given me what I have today salvation that I, when I die I leave this place and go to heaven and there's nobody I love this man to death but he can't give me what I got I love you but you couldn't give me what I got I would have never got to have you in my life I'd have never been able to raise you Alan and, and, and Nikki and Josh and Jessica would have never been in my life if it wouldn't have been for the Lord Similar to the American flag or the image of the bald eagle, the palm was a national symbol. When they thought Jesus would meet their needs, it was Hosanna. When they thought he would call them to sacrifice, they screamed, crucify him. See, when you serve God, there is a sacrifice. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But there was a greater price paid for you to sacrifice to serve him than, he, than you've ever paid. He gave his life for us. And we go, man, if they call Sunday night service, I just can't make it on a Sunday night. I don't know that I can fit Sunday night back in my schedule. I know I can't fit Wednesdays. I, I've already proven that, you know. It's online, so maybe I can just drive down the road and look at it. Right? There's something different about being on your, on your phone, on your computer, than being in the house of God. Totally different. And I'm not talking about, I'm not downplaying anybody that can't be out or physically can't be out. But what I'm talking about is long as there's life and blood and health in this body. And I have a ability to be out in the house of God. I want to be in the house of God. I want to worship the King of Kings. I want to praise the Lord. I want to give him glory. I want to give him honor. But as soon as they were asked to sacrifice, I'll crucify him. No, I'm not giving up that nightlife. No, I'm not giving up that Sunday morning high. No, crucify him. I'm not going there. So question to you. How is it that hail him so quickly became nail him? <laughs> How quickly was it it said they took their clothes. They were taking clothes. Hail. Hail, King Jesus. Hail. They were throwing it out. Right? Oh, holy comes the king. That's what they said. They had palm leaves. And they were like waving them because they thought he had come to run the world and rule the world. But he had not come to rule the world. He came to save the world. Amen. See, you need to know the identity of the Savior you, you serve and you worship. 
There's no one in the White House that can save us. I'll say that again. There's no one in the government or the White House that can save you or I that can make things right. They can't make it right because things have already been set in motion. Jesus is coming back. Don't put your eggs in the basket of the government. Put them in Jesus. Because he is the deliverer. He is the restorer. He's the one that can bring life. He's the one that is our redemption. When he went to that cross and he gave himself that I don't even, I don't, I can tell you, you all, I don't know how you all think, but I'm like, I am so unworthy of the blood. I'm so unworthy. I mean, I'm unworthy. I don't deserve, I don't deserve anything that God has given me. But, but God, that, that grace and that mercy. You know, when sin knocks on my door, I'm just going to be real with you. When sin starts knocking on my door, and sin probably don't knock on you all, and thank God it don't, but sin knocks on my door a lot. Okay? I have to literally say, God, help me. I rebuke the spirit of sin because I know what the devil's trying to do. See, the devil wants me back. And if the devil can get me back, he'll, he'll mess up some people. He'll trip up some people that have been serving God. This is what people don't understand, that when sin knocks, you've got to tell sin, get thee behind thee. Because sin messes up your walk with God. And then it not only messes up your walk with God, but now it messes my walk up with God because I don't understand how in the world that someone slipped into it and went out the door. Right? 25 and 30 years of serving God and walk away from God. And all of a sudden, they don't believe the doctrine. They don't believe the word. I'll tell you why. Because sin come knocking. And when sin started knocking, they said, yeah. Their Holy Ghost wasn't enough to say, oh, oh, that don't sound like the right kind of knock. That don't sound like God's knock. That sounds like the devil's knock. That sounds like darkness knocking. That sounds like my past knocking. That sounds like things that I used to do knocking. That sounds like things I was involved with knocking on the door. Things that I used to entertain knocking on the door. And you got to get to the place where you say, I rebuke you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Get thee behind me. As for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. Many a times I've had to rebuke the demonic darkness trying to come back. I had to tell you, you have to wait in. You can't just play with it. Most of us entertain it. We'll go, we'll go, I hear you knocking. Anybody looking? Man, I know what it is. And my flesh wants it. You know why my flesh wants it? Because there's not been any prayer time. And so my flesh wants to take and go, Woo! I remember those days. And he's going, come on. Remember when? And you've got to get to the place that you pull down into the depths of God's power and his anointing 
and say, God, my mind is not right now. My spirit is not right. But I need you to step into this situation. Easily I could fail you. Easily I could tip the toe right into the tulips of sin. I was in the garage and I'm, I found a box. box of old stuff that I had when I was a young man. Albums of Crazy Horse and ZZ Top and um, who was my other one? John Lennon, or not, yeah, John Lennon was one. Um, the guy that, uh, Elton John. Demonic sitting right up in my house. Demon sitting in my house. Crazy Horse. I don't know, money, you, most of you don't know Crazy Horse. There's some wild stuff. ZZ Top, Leonard Skinner, all that southern rock and roll stuff, right? Don't you think that the devil didn't say, man, you ought to put that on. You ought to put that on. I don't have a record player, so I couldn't even play them. But, uh, you know, they're big, the big 12s or whatever, the big one. I don't know what you call them, 33s or, no, 33s were small. I don't know, whatever the big one is. You know, but in my mind, the devil's going, man, you need to find a record player. You need to put some of that stuff on. You haven't heard that music in, in probably 30, 40, 35 years, 40 years. No, 40-some years, right? And, and the devil's going, man, you... you I took it, look, I took it, one of them to school, got kicked out, sent home. When they saw the word, when the words came out on the, you know, it's show and tell that day. I took my, <laughs> some crazy stuff came out on that record player. The lady, the, 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 the school teacher, Miss Vasilakis said, what? Crack. Pulled that thing off there. She said, go to the office. You're going home. <laughs> we don't have good school teachers like that anymore. I mean, we got a few that'll stand for God and godliness, right? But, but hear me, the devil's going, oh, you need to play that. You need to play that. That's from your past. That's why God knows your past, your present, and your future. Amen. Uh, it, it was never about Jesus in the first place when they were worshiping him. This was a warning to the world and would-be worshipers of our day in the average church. In the average church, one part can seem exhilarated when the band is singing. When they sing, I ran out of the grave, yet moments later they are bored to tears as the choir sings, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. The exhortation and exhor uh, exhilaration apparently wasn't about Jesus anymore. In the same church, one crowd claps and shouts to grace greater than our sin. But amazing grace, my chains are gone, makes them look like they have a stomach virus. The shouting apparently wasn't about Jesus. Even in churches like our own, the congregation can, can be lively and vibrant as long as the jokes are fresh and the preaching is loud. Dear God, I, I, don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. We'll never be an entertaining church. As you know, I cannot sing. But I love to sing. I love to sing. Because God gave me a voice. It may not hold the right note and the right key. 
But I love to sing unto the Lord. That's why you don't see me. You know, that's why I really, I, if I start a song, I look to air. Because I'm looking for him to carry me. Because if he carries me and he gets me on a place, I can follow him. Right? And then when I can't go any higher, I just stop. I look at him and I'll wait till he comes back down to my part. But when the doctrine gets deep and the voice gets low, many can begin to check out on their watches or their iPhones. The response was apparently not about Jesus. Trans, uh, the, 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 the translated word, uh, the Hebrew word of Hosanna is Lord, save us. Right? This represents their understanding that Christ was bringing in a kingdom. They didn't understand what kingdom he was bringing in. And that's where we've got to be. We've got to be in a place that we understand the kingdom that he's bringing in. But they didn't understand the nature of that kingdom. And they were looking for the political and civil salvation. Yet their words could not be more spiritual and divinely inspired. In Psalms 118, 25 through 26. This may be a little bit of a long message. The Bible says... Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Verse 27 says this, The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice and tie him to the horns of the altar. In other words, if freedom from bondage is to come, You've got to grab the sacrificial lamb and hold on to him. You and I have got to hold on to the Lord. And, and that's just what they did. Even, even realizing it, without even realizing it, they were declaring, that's the one that will, we will slaughter. That's the one that we will crucify. And look at the rebuke. They essentially say, you're not worthy of this praise now. And he knew it. Can you imagine knowing that you're going to Golgotha to be crucified for mankind? And that's why he said, Lord, if this is, this is, about, this is about too much, take this cup from me. I don't know that I can handle this. But he was committed. He was committed. He stayed in it. You know how it amazes me. I don't know. I, I, I know that I've never driven a nail in my hand. Thank God. I, I've missed a screw and put a screw into my hand. And that hurt. I've never had an a air gun shoot a nail in my leg or in my hand. Thank God. But I can only imagine in the brutal um, days of humanity of the nails that you know what these nails look like are the, the old old time nails that we use when building a barn or something like that but the nail had to hold him for a while so it couldn't be a little nail because that was a little nail right there those nails are little and, and if you use the nails they i forget what they were called brother dave what were brother mccauley what were those square penny nails like that what were they called do you remember dad bishop no they're not spikes they're a special name. It's a special name. I, uh, if It's been a while. But anyway, whatever kind of nail, that nail would not hold him because the flesh would tear from the weight. You know, he was constantly, right? They nail him at the feet 
And, it, you know, it said that he had to lift himself up so that he could sometimes get air into his lungs. And so he had to force himself up on that nail. So if it would have been a small nail, it would not have held him. So it had to be, you know, and I'm fat. I'm. Yeah, Spike. I don't know. But anyway, in my mind, I'm going in the primitive time that they made nails. That nail was very primitive, made out of steel, rough, rough cut steel or mold, somehow, however they made it, right? So they took that nail and then they took whatever kind of a hammer, whether it be wood or they had figured out how to make steel heads to drive them. And they drove that thing because a little nail would never have stayed in the skin. It had to have some kind of a head so that your arm, that you could not go like that and take your arm or take your feet off that cross and come down off the cross. You follow me? I'm trying to paint a picture for you. He wasn't getting off. The sinner wasn't getting off. Jesus was not getting off that cross. And to drive something that had to be at least three-quarters, uh, uh, five-eighths to three-quarters of an inch round into your skin that probably did not have a head on it that would immediately pierce the skin. You understand why I, I, I worship him? This is why we worship him. He allowed something, some atrocious things to be done to him. For my sins, would you hang on a cross for me? Would you hang on a cross for me? Would you hang on a cross for me? I know you now. Yes, I love you, but I don't know how much I really love you to hang on a cross for you. But it says he knows the past, the present, and the future. So he already knew who Brother Reverend Gary McNeil was. He already knew who Reverend Johnson was. He already knew who Bishop Herb Reynolds was. He already knew who Mother Maddie was. He already knew who uh, uh, Brittany was. He already knew who Brother McCulley was. That when he allowed them to drive him, the first one and the second one and then put the feet on there these people were crying crucify him instead of hail him nail him look at the response he essentially says you don't know who you're talking to this is what jesus and as you look at one coming to die in your place god forbid that we should be silent listen carefully this verse of scripture only found here is not ultimately about worship it is really a question about judgment and mercy stones crying out is an ancient expression related to judgment you can find in the book of habakkuk chapter 2 Christ is declaring in, in accordance with the inspired words of Habakkuk, when people make a choice to not worship me, all that's left is the judgment of God and that the truth and that truth leads to a third and final point of that day. The stones will cry out if you won't cry out. 
Again, He is all wise and He is very much worthy of our praise. He is our Savior. He's a willing Savior. Although our time is limited, I, I want you to see that nestled in those closing verses of chapter 19 is a clear picture that Christ is the only way of salvation and that the only option for you are receiving Jesus into your life so that you can handle the judgment that's to come. Verse 41 through 44 says this, And when he was come near, he beheld the city and he wept over it. That's because he was in great sorrow what was about, that, that he was dying for people that, that, were calling, that were saying, Nail him now. He still cried for them, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, there's people that know God's coming. They have known the Lord. They have known the Lord. And they've turned their back on God. I don't say that to be negative, I guess. But I say it because it's sad to me. I mean, there's been times that I've been through things. But I can tell you that I go back to the throne. I go back to the altar and begin to seek the face of God. <clears throat> saying, if thou had known, even thou, at least in this thy day. So he's saying, if you knew what was happening. And what is coming, what is coming, you know, uh, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from you. You could have had peace, but now they're hidden from you. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee around and keep thee in on every side. And it shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knowest not the time of the visitation. You see, this word for wept is not a gentle word describing glassy eyes. It speaks of convulsive weeping. It is the word used to describe the weeping of Jewish mothers when Herod ordered the murder of the babies to and under following the birth of Jesus. You see, the mourners at Jairus' house were weeping uncontrollably. The intense grief of the widow of Nain. You see, there was tremendous weeping. When Lazarus died, the sisters wept. In other words, if you have ever buried a child or stood by one who did, it's that kind of weeping. There is a teaching in some corners of American church that says Jesus is equally glorified when with the salvation of the elect as with the damnation of the lost. You see, he weeps for those that are lost. He wept over them because he knew where they were because they had rejected the opportunity to be saved. John MacArthur says this, he being Jesus wept in the face of their hypocrisy and their shallowness and their rejection in a few days which he was well aware was coming and he wept because he knew what was coming after that he wept because he knew their damnation was coming i cannot explain the depths of god's sovereignty but i i i'm telling you if anyone here desires or, or dies he will go to hell without the lord if you die if you die without the holy ghost you will go to hell while trampling over the shedded blood of Jesus, rejecting the gospel in this message, spurning 
the call of God and ignoring the tear-filled pleas of the crucified Christ Savior who stands there and calls us. If anyone is thirsty, come. He says, if anyone's thirsty, come. And let whosoever take of the water, uh, the water of life freely and without cost. John tells us, I'm coming close to closing. John tells us they were wondering if Jesus will come to the feast. They thought he was afraid of them, but if ever, if you ever wondered if Jesus has was hiding out in fear, watch how he enters the city that was under religious control. He does not slink into town the back way. He didn't sneak into town in the back. He didn't come in the back door. He didn't hide. He didn't kind of sneak into town. Does he hide out in somebody's caravan or in somebody's house or in the crowd? Does he slip into town under cover of darkness? Does he shave his, his beard and come disguised? No, he rides into town as a grand marshal of the Passover parade. Chin up, high head and shoulders back. And to make sure they're, they're, they're mad enough to kill him, he goes right into the temple, into the belly of the beast, and picks a fight by braiding a whip and knocking some heads. He wanted them to know who was coming to town. He wasn't hiding. Many of you need to understand Jesus is coming back for a people. The world needs to know Jesus is coming back for a people. And we need to make sure we're ready. He says, in essence, don't you even think about waiting until after Passover to kill me. I've come to town to die on the cross and nothing and nobody can stop me. You see, the leaders had determined to not seek to kill Christ during the Passover week because of the crowd. Yet that's exactly when God determined Jesus would die. By creating a scene, Jesus made it desirable for them to kill him. By disappointing the crowd's desire for an earthly king, he made it possible for them to kill him. By coming to town the way Jesus in total control ensured that by the end of the week he'd be hanging between thieves bearing our sins and laying down his own life. I can imagine them standing around wondering if he would show his face. Not only would he show his face, but he would show his hands when he came back. He wanted to make sure they knew that he was the crucified Messiah. Look here in my hand. See that nail? Nail print right there? See the nail print? Let me take off my sandal. You see the nail prints in my feet? I want you to know who I am. I, I went to that cross. I died. Yes, I died. I was in that grave for three days and I rose again. I've come back. I, I, it's expedient that I go, but I must prepare you. You must go to the, go to the upper room. Right? You must go. You must tarry there so that the comforter may come, which is the Holy Ghost. Amen. She, you see, see uh, he showed them. He, so he's not just coming to observe the Passover. He's coming to be the Passover. They would beat him and rip him up with the whip. They would push him up a skull-shaped hill. Then they nailed him and lifted him up on the cross. And after he offered himself, then the Father would give him up. And, and after he had paid up 
he yielded up his spirit and died. Then they wrapped him up, sealed him up, shut him up in a tomb. Walking away, they gave him up. Lying there, stone cold, dead in borrowed grave. He looks even less like a king than when he came into town on the donkey. As they roll the stone over the door, I confess he doesn't look very royal anymore. But stick around for three days. Stick around for three days. Watch a dead man start to breathe again. Watch a lifeless body begin to move. Watch him roll the stone away and kick hell in the teeth. And when you see him rise with power holding death by the throat and grave by the nap of the neck. You may say he didn't look like much in, in the peasant garb riding on a donkey. But oh my, a man that can do that. A man who can rise from the dead. That's God in flesh. Stand with me. I know it's not much of a shouting message, but it's a shouting message for me. It's a message of encouragement to me. Some people view it as a message of encouragement, but to me, I know that I can go to an altar. I don't have to run from Christ. I don't have to run from the things of this world. I can run to the altar where God is. I can feel the presence of God. So when you come, I'm going to ask everybody to come, but when you come, I want you to come knowing who you're worshiping. Right? Knowing that you're worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that died on a cross, Dana, for your sins. Whether you ever chose to serve him or not. Brother Britt, he went to the cross for you. Because he already knew who you were. Way back then. Whether you were going to ever commit to serving him or give your life your family, bring them into the house. Alan Reynolds, senior, he died for me. Even in my drunken hours, even in my drug hours, he had died for Alan. Even though Alan didn't deserve all that, Reverend, he died for Reverend McNeil. Before Reverend McNeil even called him Lord and Savior. He might have been raised in a church like Pastor Alan Reynolds, but there was, our, there was a season that we were walking in a place that didn't deserve that blood that was shed for our sins. Amen. And there's a, there's a constant, um, for me it's a constant, constant prayer of God, protect this. Because all you children of God are under attack. We're all under attack. You're not always on the mountain. Nobody wants to say, Pastor, I'm in the valley. Matter of fact, I'm in the valley with the shadow of death. Matter of fact, I see nothing but dry bones, dead dry bones all around me. My word said, yea, though I walk 
through the valley of the shadow of death to not fear it. Though I see the dry bones, keep on walking. Though sin knocks at my door, keep walking. Though sin, though Satan tries to pull me away, keep walking. Though, though sin knocks me down or Satan knocks me down, get back over. Though I might walk with a limp from that one, keep walking with him. Hey Amen. I find so many people, they're walking away. They're running away. They're, they're, they're not, pride gets in the way and, and says, oh, they see my limp now. And I'm coming to the altar. They're going to know I've sinned because I got a limp. Because sin, sin does affect you. Sin will affect you. I don't know what I'm, I don't even know how to end this right now other than to say, look, all I know is, is when you say Hosanna, know that you're worshiping a king, a king in heaven. Give him glory and give him honor. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow, not next week. I want you to know that today, if you've not been filled with the Holy Ghost, you can receive the Holy Ghost today. The Bible says that when they had realized who they had crucified, the, their Messiah that they had said, nail him and crucify him, they realized they had done something wrong. They said, what is it that I must do? Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? For the remission of your sins. All right? For the remission of your sins. And it says there's a promise that follows that. And it says you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the gift of the Holy Ghost is not just something you go, I receive it. There's a sound. Because in the upper room, they said, well, how do they know they were filled? Because they heard they were filled. When God's people know you know why sometimes people get their ear close to you when you're seeking the Holy Ghost? Because they're trying to hear, whether it's tongues or just an English. And for us, some of us deaf people, it's almost like this. <laughs> you know, so I encourage you, look, if you, if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you can have the Holy Ghost today. God is so good. Every head bowed. I'm going to open the altar. If you'd like to come to the altar, I'm going to, you're, you're welcome to come just to, to praise the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Lift up your hands. Your hands are just like palm leaves and reverencing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's like giving him glory and honor, thanking him for where he's brought you from, thanking him for being the blood that was shed on Calvary, thanking him for making his way entry into, the, uh, into Golgotha, and Mount Moriah to give himself for your sins and my sins. He loves you that much. He wants, to, he wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to make sure you make it into the kingdom of God.
and he loves you. Oh. Come on. He loves you. He loves you. Don't take a chance. If you have any second thoughts of making, if you might not make it into the kingdom of God, you need to come to the altar. Each and every one of us need to make sure we can make it into the kingdom of God. Touch this family, strengthen them, Lord God, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we hold to your promises. We hold to your promises in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yea, Lord, not by might, not by power, but by your spirit, saith the Lord. God, I pray for my sister right now. Strength, her faith, Lord God, strengthen it right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let her continue to walk by faith in Jesus' name. God, that her husband and symphony, oh God, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, touch them right now, Lord God. Strengthen them right now, Lord God. My brother, Lord God. Redemption by the grace in his eyes. It is great. 